Luke chapter 18, let's begin reading together at verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, Lord... Open our hearts, I pray, that we may hear and receive what the Spirit would say to us out of this passage in the midst of the message. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them, and I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, and ask that you will draw them to you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith, and I pray that you'll send the Holy Spirit after them. Arrest their hearts, Lord. Bring them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray these things in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Unless you've been hiding under a rock, you know that this season of the National Football League is quickly coming to an end. Teams are in the playoffs, sadly not the Jaguars. <clears throat> Only a few weeks away from the final game, the Super Bowl. When my dad was alive, his favorite team was the Dallas Cowboys. But God forgave him for that and let him into heaven anyway. One of the stars of that team in years gone by was a running back named Emmett Smith. Back in 2002, Emmett Smith set the NFL career rushing record at 16,743 yards. By the end of his career, that number had climbed to 18,355 yards. Now, Emmett Smith was never as flashy as somebody like uh, Walter Payton or Barry Sanders. And he never possessed true breakaway speed. His strength was his ability to persist. He just kept running. That NFL rushing record of 16,743 yards, it's the equivalent of about nine and a half miles took him 13 years to run nine and a half miles. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. What's the big deal about that? I mean, I often run or walk more miles in the span of a few days or a week than that. 
The difference is you don't have 11 huge defensive players trying to take your head off when you run. (laughs) Emmett's average run over those nine and a half miles was 4.3 yards at a time. That means he had been tackled and knocked down somewhere around 3,983 times. Do you know what he did after every tackle? He got back up and ran the ball again. Sure, he was injured a few times, but he always returned. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm impressed with someone who gets knocked down almost 4,000 times and yet still gets up and runs again. The story that forms the text for the message today takes place when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, most likely in the final few weeks of his life before his crucifixion. At the end of chapter 17, the Pharisees ask a question about when the kingdom of God would come. And in verse 21, Jesus responds and says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then, in the very next verse, after the Pharisees are gone, Jesus tells the disciples that the kingdom of God was not yet here. And at first glance, those two statements sound contradictory. But what Jesus says to the Pharisees is that he is the embodiment of the kingdom standing in their midst. Then, when he addresses the disciples, he's telling them that the physical establishment of his kingdom would only take place when he returned again. The second coming of Jesus would consummate his kingdom on earth. To both the Pharisees and his disciples, Jesus emphasized in verses 20 through 37 the fact that no one will be able to determine in advance the time of his second coming. It's in the context of talking about waiting for the final consummation of the kingdom that Jesus tells the parable about prayer that is the focus of the message today. In this parable, Jesus is giving instruction that when his coming is apparently slow in taking place, believers are not to become discouraged. Instead, they should persist in prayer, knowing that he will indeed come at the right time and will destroy the powers of evil and cause his chosen ones to triumph. Jesus had just been telling his disciples about the trials ahead for himself and about the judgment to come. He told of the indifference of the people on the day of Noah and also of Sodom before its destruction. He said, history is going to repeat itself. It's going to be like it was in those days, and God's judgment will again fall. Meanwhile, Life for his followers is not going to be a bed of roses. And that's why Jesus tells this parable. The parable, however, isn't just about waiting for the second coming of Jesus. Instead, it also provides a principle for effective praying. It's the principle of persistence. The unique thing about this story is that its purpose is clearly stated so that no one can miss it. It was told to instruct the followers of Jesus to keep on praying and never lose heart. It was told to prevent believers from becoming discouraged 
and giving up on faith and giving up on prayer. It was told so that we would be like Emmett Smith, and if we keep getting knocked down, we just get back up and run some more. The reason for the parable is given right up front in verse 1. It says, Jesus was telling them a parable, and here it is, to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Then Jesus proceeds to tell a story about a wicked judge and an abused widow to illustrate the principle of persistent prayer. In this story, the first thing I want to call to your attention is a surprising courage. Verse 3 introduces us to a widow. The text doesn't tell the age of the widow. She could have been old, advanced in years, or she actually could have been very young. Neither does the text tell the details of her problem. All we know is that she was struggling. She had some sort of adversary that was trying to take advantage of her. Likely, they were trying to cheat her because she was a widow by stealing money or land because she was vulnerable and didn't hold much weight in a court of law. See, a widow in that culture would have absolutely no standing in the community. In the first century Jewish tradition, a widow was the ultimate example of vulnerability. She was status deprived. The ancient court system belonged to the world of men. And the fact that this woman finds herself before the magistrate shows that she has no, fa no male family member to bring to her case to court. The fact that her case drags on for a prolonged period of time shows she doesn't have any money to bribe him for a settlement. Given her lack of standing and lack of empowerment, the widow resorts to the only thing available to her. She badgers and begs and pesters and nags the judge for justice. She is surprisingly courageous and astonishingly persistent. She finds out where this judge lives, sits out in front of his driveway. She pleads for justice as he leaves his chambers on his way to lunch. She begs him for justice in front of his colleagues. She pesters him in restaurants, calls him at home at all hours of the day and night. She blows up his phone with text messages. She fills his inbox with emails. Oh, you didn't see that in the text? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I love what Jesus says about the judge's response in verse 5. Look, look at what he says. He says, this widow bothers me. I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. The King James Bible uses the word weary. She will weary me. It's the word hupopiazzo. And it means literally to punch somebody in the face. It gives the picture of a boxing match where this macho, unjust judge is concerned by the least powerful person in the community who's about to give him a black eye. The Message Bible says it like this, because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice, otherwise I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. 
This widow is persistent. This widow refuses to give up. She is unwilling to accept failure. I heard the story of an experiment where a fisherman caught a large black bass. And instead of putting that thing in a frying pan, he put it in a glass tank. Every morning, he would bring a minnow to the tank and drop it in. The bass would make a dash for the minnow and soon finish him off for breakfast. After a number of days of this, the fisherman placed a glass partition in the tank and then dropped the minnow in the side opposite from the bass. Well, the big fish made his usual lunge but bumped his nose against the glass. He didn't give up easily, however, but kept ramming the glass over and over. Finally, the blows were too much, and he ceased to try. After a few days of this separation, the partition was removed. The minnow and the bass swam freely together. The minnow was now available for food, but the bass made no attempt to get it. Frustration had conditioned it to accept failure, and it just gave up. This is an apt description of so many people when it comes to prayer. You've prayed and prayed, and it seemed to do no good. Come on, somebody. So you begin to wonder, why bother? Some even conclude that it's no use, and so like that bass, they let their disappointments bring them to a state where they no longer even try. Prayer can sometimes be a thankless task. Prayer can seem like nothing is happening and it would be easy to quit. Prayer forces you to be disciplined, and most people don't like that. Prayer has you communicating with someone you don't see but are hopeful that he hears. Prayer has a mystery to it, and it stretches your faith to the max most of the time. The widow in this story exhibited a surprising courage. It didn't matter that she didn't have any status or standing. It didn't matter that she was ignored and powerless. This widow was persistent. This widow was insistent. And this widow was consistent. And Jesus says, this is the kind of prayer in which I want you to engage. Keep praying and never give up. Not because God is hard of hearing, not because you have to beg to be heard, not because the Lord doesn't want to answer you. You keep praying because prayer carries weight. Prayer is an aggressive ministry that moves the hands of God to do His will for your life. You pray and keep praying because you are helpless in yourself. You pray because the need is bigger than you are. You may be weak and powerless, but keep praying. You may lack status and influence, but keep praying. You may have run out of resources, but keep praying praying. You may not feel anything or hear anything or see that your prayers are making any difference, but keep praying. You may be exhausted from the effort, but take courage and keep praying. When you pray, God will either change the circumstances or God will change you. Either way, something will happen. There's another thing I want you to see in this story. I want you to see not only a surprising courage, I want you to see a sharp contrast. 
Notice the way Jesus describes the judge in verse 2. He says, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. Even after the persistent petitioning of the widow, the judge describes himself in verse 4. Even though I do not fear God nor respect man. Here was a man who had been charged with the responsibility of administering justice, but he had no scruples. He did not fear the God of all justice. He was motivated by neither conviction nor compassion, only by his own pleasure. He was the last person to turn to for mercy and the last person who would go out of his way to help a poor widow. He was utterly corrupt. He was godless and had no concern for the rights of man or woman. Most likely, he was open to taking bribes and gave favors to people in authority. This was a despicable man. In this story, the corrupt judge finally relents because of the badgering persistence of the widow. And here's where the story is often misunderstood. Some people read this story and think, aha, that's what I need to do. I'm like that widow. I'm helpless and need God's help. So here's the way I'm going to get it. I'm going to beg and plead and badger and nag and persist. I'm going to keep asking and asking and asking and asking. Eventually, I'll just wear God down and he'll grant my request. That's the way a lot of people read that. What you fail to see is that Jesus in this parable isn't making a comparison between, between God and the corrupt judge. He's making a contrast. God is not like the judge. God is the exact opposite of the unjust judge. God is righteous and gracious and loving and merciful and kind and good and just. He delights to answer the prayers of his children. See, verses 5 and 6 say that the unrighteous judge finally gave in, not because he had a change of heart, but because he was tired of the constant not nagging of the widow. And then comes the contrast in verses 6 and 7. Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge said. What did he say? Well, I'm just going to have to give in because otherwise she's going to give me a black eye, Right? Hear what the unrighteous judge said. That's, how, that's why I'm giving in. Now, he says, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cried to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? Again, I like the way the Message Bible says it. Do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. He will not drag his feet. The difference could not be any sharper. If even a godless judge 
will finally yield out of selfish motives to a persistent request for justice. Can you question for a moment that God, the author of all justice and the father of all mercies, will not do justice for all of his children who persist in crying to him day and night? I tell you, if a character like this unscrupulous, corrupt judge will even do justice, it is an absolute certainty that God will hear and will respond to the prayers of his children. Now, it's true that God often delays, as did the judge, but he does so for different reasons. See, God lets injustice and oppression of his own continue even after they plead for justice because of his long-suffering, not because of his indifference and his lack of concern. You can be certain that evil will not go unpunished, but the delay is due to the fact that God's plan includes mercy even for the oppressor. God delays because he operates not from a temporal point of view, but with eternal values in view. The judge delayed because he didn't care. God delays because he does care. He cares not only about you, but he cares about those who are hurting you as well. I know you don't care about them, but God does. He is, see, God isn't just working on the solution to your problem. But while he's working on the solution to your problem, he's also working out the solution to the problem of your neighbor that is connected to the issue. And he's working out the solution to the problem of the person that created the problem in the first place. And he's working out the solution to the way the problems are affecting other people in your circle of influence. He's doing what is best for everyone connected all at the same time. You, you can't do that. I can't do that. But God can. Staying persistent in prayer means that you keep praying so you can remain in alignment with his will and purpose. It means that you keep praying so you can stay in communication and in communion with him. It means you keep praying so you can relax, knowing that he's going to give the best to those who leave the choice with him. You see, there are all kinds of ways God answers prayer. Sometimes God says no. There are too many people who haven't figured out that no is an answer. I remember when my children were small, and they would want something that in my opinion, was not in their best interest, and I would say no. And they would say, but daddy, daddy, daddy. And finally, I look at him and say, what part of no don't you understand, the N or the O? <laughs> See, too many people haven't figured out that no is an answer. God's putting up great big stop signs, and you just keep plowing through them. You get frustrated, and you think God isn't answering your prayer, but he is. He said No. Now, aren't you encouraged? <laughs> One of the greatest demonstrations of trust is the ability to accept a no response to your prayer. 
See, you think you know what's best, but God really does know what's best. He knows that if he granted your request, it would not be in your best interest. He knows that it might seem good in the short term, but in the long term, it would be detrimental, maybe even disastrous. And so he says no. Sometimes God doesn't say no. He says slow. The timing isn't right. Remember this, please. Delay isn't denial. When God says slow, that's when some people really get frustrated. Most people, myself included, are impatient. We want it and we want it now. Yesterday would have actually been better. We think we're ready for it yesterday, but God knows better. So he says, slow. It's not a no, it's just a not yet. Most of the time when God says slow, it's also accompanied by the next response to prayer, which is grow. Before God can grant your request, there's some maturing that needs to take place. See, while you're in the slow and grow stage, That's the time you really need to be persistent in praying, but it's also the time to learn some things. Learn some things about God. Learn some things about the ways and the plans of God. Learn some things about yourself. Grow in knowledge. Grow in grace. Grow in mercy. Grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Grow in wisdom. Grow in patience. Wrap yourself around the Lord and allow Him to wrap Himself around you. Anybody remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph, you remember, was given dreams when he was a teenage boy. But it was 13 years before those dreams began to be fulfilled. The reason is because even though it was his destiny to be prime minister of Egypt, Joseph needed some schooling for ruling. You read it. He was a cocky, arrogant teenager. Like most teen, no. uh. But by the time he was placed in a position of authority in the land of Egypt, all the rough edges had been knocked off. And he had grown in wisdom and in patience and in understanding. It was because of his growth and maturity that he could tell his brothers, look, I forgive you for all the injustice you did to me. You meant it for evil, but I can see the hand of God working through it all. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So sometimes God will say no, sometimes he says slow, other times he says grow, and then sometimes God says go. Your petition is in line with his will for you at that time, and he gives the green light and you proceed with answer in hand. No matter what the answer, the instruction of the Lord is still verse 1, you ought to pray and not to lose heart. Persistent in prayer. Never stop praying. In this parable, there is a surprising courage. There is a sharp contrast. And finally, I want you to see a serious concern. At the end of verse 8, Jesus says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, remember, This parable is told as part of the teaching about the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom of God. Persistence in prayer has both a short and a long view in mind. 
when there is a delay in the answer to the prayer for your personal requests, keep praying. Be persistent. Don't give up. Hold on. You're right on the brink of your miracle. Don't quit now. Persevere. Your prayer is keeping you connected to the source of all you need. Your prayer is positioning you for the right answer at the right time in the right way. At the same time, the concern of Jesus is that you remain persistent in prayer and in faith until he comes. When it seems he has delayed his coming, anybody ever heard a message on the coming of the Lord? Anybody ever heard a message on the coming of the Lord where it said, and you know he could come tonight? Anybody been hearing that same message for the last 50 years? Anybody wondered if maybe he forgot about us? Okay. When it seems he has delayed his coming, what does Jesus say? Persist in prayer and faith. When it seems that truth will perish and evil will win, don't give up hope. Keep praying, keep believing, keep expecting, keep trusting, keep looking. Jesus is coming. Listen to both the warning and the promise Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 24, verses 5 through 13. He said, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. He said, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then... They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Oh, that's, that's depressing. But, I'm so glad he put that in there. I thought one time I wanted to preach a series of messages on the conjunctions of the Bible. And this is one of the big ones. But, the one who endures to the end... He will be saved. In the face of all of this, persistence. I just feel like the Lord sent me to this pulpit today to encourage somebody with these words. It's too soon to quit. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep believing, keep hoping, keep praying. Don't despair. The answer is on the way. Hmm. Emmett Smith had it right. 
you may get knocked down, but get up and run again. Stand with me. Before we get out of here today, I just want to ask, do you have a prayer you've been praying for a long time without an answer? Is that anybody? I've been praying for something for, it just seems like most of my life. (laughs) Would you dare to pray it again? Having the confidence of what I've been preaching today that God is faithful and He will answer your prayer. I don't know what that prayer is for you, but I'm just going to ask us to take a moment, bow in His presence, and I'm going to invite you to one more time just pray that prayer that's on your heart. Say, Lord, I'm coming one more time in obedience to Your Word I'm praying with persistence, and I'm praying with faith, believing I'm not going to lose heart on this. I will trust you with it, but I'm asking one more time for this. Go ahead, take a couple of moments. Here I am again, Lord. You already know what I'm going to talk to you about today because I've talked to you about it so many other times. But you've encouraged me out of your word to just be persistent. So I'm asking one more time. Hear my prayer. Bring your help. I need you, Lord. I need you. Turn this situation around. You ask if you would find faith on the earth. Lord, I do believe you. I do trust you. When the way is dark, I can't feel anything. Or hear anything, I, I still trust you. Where else can I go except to you? So hear my prayer today, I pray. And confirm your word by bringing the answer that I need. And give me the courage to accept your answer. in humble submission to you. I pray this in 
that matchless name of Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, my soon coming King. Thank you. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust in. Amen. Amen.